and now today we're going to look at fulfilling your calling. I want to say to you um, a powerful quote that I've got. Some of you might know a Mrs. Agu, okay? I'm not too sure how to pronounce the first name. The Nigerians here can help me. She's a Nigerian lady from Adu, I think it is. Um, uh, Jakinma Agu. Right? Uh, she's the lady who wrote The Prince and the Pauper. How many of you have read that book, The Prince and the Pauper? And she says something powerful. She says, do not look down with disdain on what Christ spent so much to achieve for you. Do not look down with disdain on what Christ spent so much to achieve for you. Amen. When Jesus died, he didn't just die for your salvation. When we talk about being saved, you're saved from horrible things, but you're also saved to something. How many of you know that you're saved to greatness? You see, God's plan for you when he saves you is not for you to just end up average. When God saved you, it was for you to accomplish your kingdom calling. Amen. Amen. It was for you to accomplish your kingdom calling. So do not look down with disdain on what Christ spent so much to achieve for you. Right, And in this session, we're going to actually examine some keys and some guardrails to help you to fulfill your calling. Because there are a lot of people who start that journey of their calling, but they never fulfill it. And I want to give you some guardrails that will help to guarantee that you achieve or you accomplish the call of God on your life. To fulfill is to carry out a duty or a role as required, promised, or expected. To fulfill something is to carry out a duty or a role as required. So how has God required you to carry it out? As promised. How have you promised to carry it out or as expected? Amen. And what I find interesting is that you only feel fulfilled in life to the degree to which you fulfill your calling. Can you see that it's two different meanings of that word fulfill? You will only feel fulfilled in life to the degree to which you fulfill your calling. Amen. True fulfillment in life does not come from acquiring things. True fulfillment in life does not come from what you get. True fulfillment in life comes from when the things that God has placed inside of you are drawn out. Amen. So if you've got books inside of you that have not yet been written, you won't be feeling fulfilled. Amen. If you've got stories, poems that need to be shared that have not yet been shared, you will still feel that sense of something needs to come out of me. If there are people who God has called you to heal because he's gifted you with the gift of healing and you haven't yet stepped out and begun to pray for the sick, you will feel that restless thing in you and you will feel like there's something missing in my life. Amen. If there are people you need to be counseling out there but you're sitting trying to figure out how you're going to counsel them you will feel that sense of there's something missing in my life. And I believe I'm speaking to a people who are feeling what I'm feeling. That sense of there's more. How many of you identify with me this morning? There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. Fulfillment doesn't come from getting new things. Some of you feel like it's when I get my dream car, then I will be happy. 
Well, I can tell you something. I've got my dream car. The car I drive, that's the car. I, I don't want to be driving anything else. I've got my dream car. My previous car was also my dream car. For some time, I was like, oh, that would be a car I'd really like. Then what happened? Then I ended up driving it. And I can tell you right now, there's something in me that is like, uh-uh, that's not where fulfillment comes from. And I know before you get there in life, you think, once I get that, I'll be set. Once I get my dream house, I'll be set. Amen? Fulfillment does not come from acquiring things. Fulfillment comes when the things that God has placed inside of you come out. Amen. Amen. And that's the journey that we are on. And we want to make sure that we get there. We're going to be using 2 Timothy chapter 3 as our passage. And at a certain point we'll go into chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How many of you have, been, have enjoyed just unpacking the word? Amen. Just getting deeper and deeper into the word. And I'm hoping it's giving you a hunger to read and to study the word yourself. To use a concordance. Everyone know what a concordance is? Huh? To use a concordance. Some, some people are saying no. All right? A concordance is one of those thick books that make you look very spiritual when you walk around with one. But the good thing is we've got gadgets that help us, right? And it basically helps you in terms of understanding word meanings in scripture. Amen? A lexicon. Anyone know a lexicon? Lexicon is just a fancy word for dictionary. And it's where you are able to actually locate certain words and see what they actually mean. So you can have a Hebrew lexicon, you can have a Greek lexicon, right? Now, as I take you through this passage, it's not going to be a word study on all the words here. But for some of you, I'm believing that there's a hunger that's in you where you're going to say, I'm going to take out my concordance, I'm going to take out my lexicon, my Hebrew one, my Greek one, and I'm going to study the word for myself. There's a powerful course that my wife did um, at the School of Leadership and Reformation that we were running some time back on Bible research. How many of you were at that course? Bible research. It's, it's a life-changing course, isn't it? Because you get to study the word of God and you get to know what does it mean in the context in which it was written. Amen. So I want to encourage you to study the word for yourself. The first point I'm making this morning is that we must view things from God's perspective. We must view things from God's perspective. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Say to the person next to you, terrible times. Now, without reading this passage of scripture, if I were to ask you, when you say, oh, our nation is experiencing terrible times, what are you seeing in the nation that makes you say the times are terrible? Because you see, if we want to fulfill the call of God on our lives, we have to pattern with God. Amen? We have to track with God. And so we need to be te calling terrible what God calls terrible. Amen? Not what the world calls terrible. Now when the world says, oh, we're experiencing terrible times, they're often just thinking, well, when the economy is down. Right? Yeah. And we just look at economic indicators. How many of you know that there are nations today where the economy is doing really well, but the state of the soul of that nation is terrible in God's sight? Now look at what God calls terrible. Look at what God calls terrible. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. So when God looks and he sees people being lovers of themselves, everything is watch me, watch me, check me out. Right? 
there are even songs like that. <laughs> right? Everything is about self-love today. And God says, these are terrible times because people are lovers of themselves. And some of you might say to me, but Paul, you have to first love yourself before you can truly love other people. Well, the context here, it's talking about people who love themselves but don't love other people. Because later on, it actually talks about that. It says in verse 3, without love. So these are people who are loving themselves, but they themselves are without love. For others, obviously. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Some people have that as their middle name. Money. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Right? So people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. You know what I find interesting? If you look at the church, that when the church got going in about the 17th, 18th century, the great revivals, great awakening in the United States, you could have people who were elders in a church. I know of one case where a guy was stepped down from being an elder because they said that he was profiteering. In other words, he had a problem with greed. When last did you hear of someone being stepped down from church leadership because of greed? In this day and age, we focus on certain sins and we say, that's terrible. But then when someone is greedy, well, as long as they're paying the bills, as long as they've got money, as long as they're giving to the church, we don't mind about the spirit of greed. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. Can touch this. Remember? <laughs> Proud. Abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful you know when the bible talks about the prodigal son and it says he lived a riotous life if you study that word riotous riotous one of its meanings is a life of ingratitude those of you who are parents, I want to encourage you, make sure that your children grow up grateful in their hearts. If you send your child to university and they're grateful that you're paying their fees, how many of you know that it will affect their lifestyle at university? Unforgiving. Okay, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brut brutal. Some brutal people out there. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous. Do you, know what, do you know what treachery is? That's betrayal. It's when someone backstabs you. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. What is conceit? Conceit is where you have a higher estimation of yourself than you ought. When you think of yourself more highly than you ought. When I think I'm a mover and shaker, but I'm not yet. Amen? In all ways, when you think you can accomplish more within a, within a day than you actually can, you're conceited. You have a higher estimation of yourself than reality. And how I many of you know that there are a lot of people who are deluded that way? Have you ever seen those people? Some of them are on idols. That's conceit. When you think, was it their mom who told them they can sing? Who, what? They're believing their own press. When you have a higher estimation of yourself than you ought, and there are a lot of people like that, okay? And you, you want to say to the person, who lied to you? Who conned you? 
Lovers, watch this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When God looks at this, he says, these are terrible times because people are loving pleasure more than me. And if you look at that word, lovers of pleasure, it's the two root words. It's philos, which speaks of love, and hedone, where we get the word hedonism. So it's love of hedonism, love of pleasure, love of that moment of pleasure, despite the consequences. Amen? It's like, I know it doesn't matter. God will forgive me afterwards. God looks at it and he says, these are terrible times. And if you want to fulfill your calling, God is calling you this morning to have the same heart as him. To call terrible what he calls terrible. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch this. We think that these people then are not religious. But it says having a form of godliness but denying its power. Other translations say having a form of religion but denying its power. In other words, they're not living the Christian life. They haven't received the saving power of Jesus Christ. But they'll say to you at the Grammys, I just thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But they're not living the life. They're, they're clueless about God's power to transform their lives. God's power in terms of what we call spiritual formation, discipleship. But you'll see them at church. So all these people we're talking about, we're not necessarily talking about people who are out in the world there only. We're talking about people who might be out in the world there, but they do have a form of religion. When they score a goal in a soccer match, they will do the whole sign of the cross thing and look up. But when you look at their lifestyle, they're always in the papers for the wrong reasons. A form of godliness, but denying its power. And look what it says here. And you remember my message, my series on ungodly alliances, on spiritual alliances. Have nothing to do with such people. Now, I know in this day and age, everyone wants to say, no, but love everyone. No, everyone. Hang out with everyone. The church must be inclusive. Embrace everyone. I like reading the Bible. And when I read the Bible here, it's talking about these people who do this. And I don't believe it's meaning if there's someone who's unsaved who does this, completely avoid the person. I believe it's particularly also addressing that person who acts like he's a Christian but isn't. Because elsewhere, Paul speaks about that. And it says here, have, they have a form of godliness but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. What, is, what does that mean in the Greek? Have nothing to do with such people. It means have nothing to do with such people. <laughs> Amen. Let's not twist the scripture to say what we wanted to say. So rappers today, they create lyrics worshipping themselves. One of the only raps I know where the guy isn't worshipping himself is when Coolio did that, what is his name, Skilio did that rap. I wish I was a little bit taller. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's the only rap where I know someone is dissing himself, okay? In a lot of the other raps, they're not. They're worshipping themselves. Anyway. They have a form of godliness, and that makes it self-deceitful. It's self-deceiving, because they're religious people very often, but they've denied this power. They're lovers of pleasure. May God 
help us to carry his heart and his perspective. We will not be able to fulfill his purpose if we don't at the same time carry his heart and his perspective. You see, God is calling us to re-examine our alliances because he's saying you have nothing to do with such people. Are there certain people you've associated with? You've got deep connections with these people who the Bible says have nothing to do with them. I can tell you that if you've got deep associations with these people, you will not fulfill your purpose. When Paul is speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, one of his main agendas is trying to ensure that Timothy fulfills his purpose. And he's giving him this advice. He's saying that there will be terrible times. And he's unpacking what a terrible time looks like. And he says, don't associate with these people. Why? You won't fulfill your purpose. You won't fulfill your calling. And he was jealous over that. How many of you know that when you're mentoring people, you must be jealous over the purpose of God in their lives. Amen. So what is your role today in opposing that which is destroying families today? All these things that are being stated here are destroying families today. What's your role in all of this? I encourage you today, keep hating what God hates and keep loving what God loves. Amen. Keep tracking with God if you want to fulfill your purpose. I like what a particular pastor from the Ukraine said. He says, Inve invest maximum amount of time, invest maximum amount of time into refining your gift and become best at what you are called to do. And you'll be surprised how easily and quickly you rise to the top. You will only rise to the top in terms of your industry, in terms of your calling, in terms of your sphere of influence, when you invest maximum amount of time into refining your gift in that area. You see, some people are gifted, but they hardly spend time refining their gift. Do you want to fulfill your calling? Invest time into refining your gift. Look at verse 6. He's still talking about these people in, these, in the terrible times that he's talking about. He says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes. Do you have people who are worming their way into your home? Do you have people who are worming their way into your home? It says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. You know what my next question is. Are you a gullible woman? All right. Seriously, you know that in cults today, it's there are more women than men. And often the head of the cult is a guy. And the crowd you see, it's women. Go and look. Go and, go and look at the ratio. When you see guys eating grass and so on in these churches nowadays and stuff like that, okay, where, there, where there's doom, go and look at the ratio male to female. Go and look at how many guys are having doom sprayed to them and are eating grass and how many ladies, okay. Right, uh, moving right along. So they worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins. Anyone here loaded down with sins? And are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is so important. 
My second point is this. We must embrace the truth, not oppose it. If you want to fulfill the call of God on your life, you cannot remain in a place where you are forever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. How many of you know that there are a lot of people who are forever reading their Bibles but never coming to a knowledge of the truth? where they've needed deliverance ever since they were five years of age and they're now 25. They got saved at five and they're now 25 but still not delivered. They're forever learning. They're in every conference, every church service, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. It's one thing to study. It's another thing to come to a knowledge of the truth. If you don't come to a knowledge of the truth, you will have people who worm their way into your life. And they will control you because you're gullible. Amen. Please say to the person next to you, I'm not gullible. <laughs> okay. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So also these teachers do what? They oppose the truth. And I'm telling you right now, there are people out there today. Their books, nice and glossy and colorful covers in bookshops today. But they're opposing the truth. And that's one of my motivations in releasing the books that I'm releasing. It's because I see a lot of stuff that's got nice glossy covers. It's being well marketed, but it's opposing the truth. Amen? And uh, it's being well marketed. And I'm saying we need to tell our story as, as believers. If you don't tell your story, someone else will. But the dangerous thing about it is you might not like their version. So tell your story. Tell your story. It says, there are men of depraved minds, depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. Let's just be clear about that. They're rejected as far as the faith is concerned. Verse 9, but they will not get very far, so they're very popular now. They've wormed their way into people's houses, sometimes by way of television. But it says, they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Remember we said earlier on in this series, don't judge something prematurely. Sometimes we look at people's fame, but we judge it prematurely. But it says here, their folly will become clear to everyone. So we must embrace the truth and not oppose it. Some of you don't like the truth. Some of you have spouses who speak into your life, but you're resistant. You're stubborn. Stubbornness is good for certain things. It's good to have a bulldog tenacity. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. But sometimes some people are stubborn in the wrong area of life. Amen? Some of you have leaders who speak into your lives, but you might be opposing the truth. Let's embrace the truth. My questions to you, are you acquiring knowledge but not coming to a knowledge of the truth? Do not compare yourself with those who seem successful on the outside. These people seem popular, they seem successful, but their folly will be clear. My question to you is, are you clear about what is true and what is not? 
It's a basic question that lots of people ask. What is truth? Pilate asked that, didn't he? Are you clear? Have you come to knowledge of the truth? Do you know what you believe and why? Or are you that person who can be swayed? Do you get into a relationship but you don't have a clear stance? I'm talking about girl-boy relationships before you're married. But you don't have a clear stance on what are the boundaries physically. If you're not clear, you fall. Are you gullible? I hope no one here is gullible. You see, we need a strong anchor of the word to fulfill our calling. Amen. So what's the first point that I made? We must view things from God's perspective. What he hates, we must hate. What he calls terrible, we must also call terrible. Otherwise, we'll never fulfill the call of God on our lives. The second point I made is that we must embrace the truth and not oppose it. And my third point this morning is we must get relevant mentorship. If you want to go far, if you want to achieve greatness, if you want to fulfill your calling and not stop halfway, you must get relevant mentorship. A lot of people will say, so-and-so is my mentor, but my question to you is, the, is the mentorship relevant? Amen? You can't say so-and-so is my mentor in the area of farming and I want to be a farmer, but the person doesn't know what a hoe is. The person doesn't know what livestock are or is. Amen? The mentorship must be relevant. What field are you going into? Do you have relevant mentorship? Look at this final charge to Timothy that Paul gives in verse 10. He says, you however, isn't it wonderful? He's distinguishing Timothy from all these guys who are worming their ways into homes. He says, you however, you know all about my teaching. I want to ask you a question. Think about someone right now who's a mentor to you, right? Do you know all about their teaching? He goes on to say, he says, you, however, know all about my teaching. You know all about my way of life. You know all about my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, persecutions, sufferings. That's true mentorship there. You see, a lot of times we get mentorship from someone, but all we know is their teaching. But we don't know their way of life. We don't know their purpose. We don't know the sufferings they've had to go through. Are you hearing me? When someone is mentoring you, when someone is mentoring you, don't just ask them questions about their teachings. Also ask them questions about their way of life and the hardships they've had to face. Just think about that. He says, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you must be prepared. You'll be persecuted if you want to live a godly life. The reason why a lot of Christians aren't being persecuted today is they're not interested in living a godly life. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer but you don't have a high standard, you don't want to live a godly life, there'll be no persecution. But here it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When was the last time you were persecuted for your faith? 
If you can't think of a time where you're persecuted for your faith, it's probably because you're not pursuing a godly life. Simple as that. Amen? Amen. If you're part of the crowd, you crack the same jokes as everyone else, why should they persecute you? While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. People who deceive are being deceived themselves. Amen? What are the principles we get from these verses? Number one, pursue your mentors. Pursue your mentors. Make time with those particular people. How else do you pursue your mentor? Read up on what they've written. How many of you know that a lot of times... Those of you who've got a heart to pastor one day, how many of you know that a lot of times when we preach in churches, it's leftovers from revelation God is giving us beyond what we just preach from the pulpit? Are you hearing me this morning? And how many of you know that there's a way of tapping into at a deeper level where this is coming from? Pursue your mentors. Next, study their way of life. Study their way of life. That's why it's good to have mentors who are vulnerable and tell you their life story. You don't just see them at, uh, when they're preaching, right? You don't just see them when they're giving that board presentation, but you actually say, yo, you seem so committed to your organization. Can you, can you just explain to me, how do you balance things with your family? And some of them, if they're honest, they'll say, you know what, I'm struggling in my marriage today. I'm not well balanced, actually. I'm really good in terms of my executive decisions, but eh, my family life is terrible. Reality hits home. Amen? So pursue your mentors, study their way of life, read their biographies. One of the best ways of getting inspired, being inspired, is reading people's biographies, isn't it? It's one thing to read the book of, uh, a book written by C.S. Lewis. It's another thing to read his biography. Amen? Amen? Examine how they overcame difficulties. Often if I'm mentoring someone, they'll ask me questions to do with strengths. But very few people have asked me questions to do with overcoming difficulty. Are you following me this morning? Paul, how do you cope in life with this, this, and this? How did you cope when this person said this to you or did this to you? That's where you really learn. That's where you really learn. Explore God's dealings with them. Purchase their books and audios and teachings, if they've got any. A lot of people are trying to mentor lots of people, but they haven't written anything. Not just talking about books, but actually just writing, so that you can send people things. They haven't recorded any of their messages. So we never really get to know the depths of what they're about. Examine their character. Examine their character. Ask them questions about these things. And don't assume you know more than you really do. Sometimes people think they know you. How many of you feel that? How many of you feel like saying to the whole world, you don't know me? How many of you know that the moment you, get, you become a public figure, I've got someone who's working with me right now to, to shift gears in my life. And they said to me, Paul, the moment you become a public figure, you must understand that it comes with certain things. There's some, there'll, there'll be 85% of the people out there, or 95% who like what you're doing, but there'll be that 5% who'll say, this is dead boring, I hate it. 
There'll be people who will attack you and get and try and find out what's happening in your personal life. Amen. Paul here said, you know what I suffered. He was talking about the marks of an apostle. That it's all fair and fine being an apostle, but there's certain sufferings that go with that. How many of you have had people who don't really know you say negative things about you? Now, you have to become comfortable with that to fulfill your calling. If you're not comfortable with that, what tends to happen is you will settle. Please say to the person next to you, I'm not settling. You will settle and you'll say, but at least I'm a Christian. I'm involved in my local church. I'm a nice guy. My kids are growing up as Christians. I'm not a bad person. Lord, I'm sure that's enough. I've got my fire insurance. I'm guaranteed I'm going to heaven. I pray with my wife, who's my first ministry. Surely, God, that's okay. And you will settle. Don't assume, when it comes to your mentors, don't assume it was easy for them. That's why Paul is saying to Timothy, you know what I suffered. Don't assume that it's easy for them. Because you see, some people look at you from the outside and they, they see... I don't know if I should use myself as an example. They see people out there who they admire in their nice Italian suits, driving nice cars with their beautiful spouses. And they think, ah, that person is set. That things are easy for them. They don't understand my life. Don't make premature judgments about people without first investigating. Paul said to Timothy, you know what I suffered. Amen? Point number four, we must become convinced of certain things. How many of you know that it's one thing to preach a message? It's quite another thing to be convinced about what you're preaching. Did everyone get that? We must become convinced about certain things if we want to fulfill our purpose in life. It's one thing to tithe from time to time. It's quite another thing to be convinced about the power of tithing. It's one thing to give sacrificially as a once-off. It's quite another thing to have a lifestyle of sacrificial giving because you're convinced about it. And what we've seen in the church is that there's some people who are non-givers. There are other people who are first-time givers. Then there are other people who are regular givers. They give regularly, but not proportionately. How many of you know that you can give regularly 1% of your income? Are you following? But it's not, you, it's not proportionate to how God has actually blessed you. Then there are those who are tithers, and then there are those who give, who we call extravagant givers. Sacrificial givers. And very often those are the ones who are convinced about giving. Because if, if I'm convinced about what my wife was sharing earlier on, that when I sow, I will reap. There are no questions about how much I saw. If you say to that farmer who's seen a wonderful harvest last year and he knows that he's got good soil and you go and you say, I want you to have my farm so you can sow more, which is in the same area, same climate, good soil. Is he going to say, I'm not too sure about the sowing thing? No, because he's convinced that there'll be a harvest. Amen? Amen. 
Some of you, God wants to shift you from just being someone who gives regularly to a person who's giving proportionately to a person who has a revelation about extravagant giving. Amen? Amen. We must become convinced of certain things. In verse 14 he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And then he also says something else, And have become convinced of. It's one thing to learn about something. It's another thing to become convinced of it. It's one thing to learn about healing. It's another thing to become convinced of it. Amen? And he says, because you know those from whom you learned it. There's so much in that verse 14. It's one thing to learn about marriage. It's another thing to be convinced. If I was to go around this congregation this morning and I was to ask you that question, if I asked you that question, what are you convinced of in your life? How many things will be on that list? Are you convinced that if someone has not given their heart to the Lord Jesus, they will go to hell? That changes things in terms of evangelism. Are you convinced that Jesus is able to heal whatever disease you might have? You might have learned about it, but are you convinced? Are you convinced that if you are tithing, if you're a tither, that there's a blessing in that. Are you convinced that if you give, it will come back to you, but not the same level, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Are you convinced? You see, there's certain things I've become convinced about. And because I'm convinced about those things, it affects my behavior. It affects what I do. It will affect when I go home and I discuss with my wife, should we sow into these people's lives X amount because of what we believe in God for? Because I'm convinced about this teaching. It will affect what I suggest to my wife. And because she's also convinced, it will affect her level of agreement. Amen. My wife is thinking, what's this about now? What's going to happen? What's going to happen this afternoon? You know, it's important for us to do enough investigation until we are convinced. I heard a teaching by Bill Johnson once where he was saying that when we pray for people, because God has used them greatly in healing, but he says, when someone is not healed, instead of us questioning whether God is the healer or not, what we do is we try to figure out. We know that God is the healer, so if this person has not been healed, then let's investigate further why they weren't healed. Amen? And so we grow in understanding this thing called healing. And a lot of people who are strong in the healing ministry, they understand the barriers to healing. And so when they teach before they pray for the sick, they deal with those barriers. Amen. Because they're convinced that God wants to heal. But if the teaching you've received is that, nah, he's just doing, he, God is giving you that to teach you a lesson. That's a major barrier to healing. Amen. Point number five. 
We must know and use the word of God. If we want to fulfill the call of God on our lives, we must know the word and we must use it. It's one thing to know the word. It's another thing to use it. There's someone who was, who was not feeling well and my wife contacted this individual and said, so did you, have you got this some medication? The guy says, yes, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got that. And my wife asked the person, are you using it? And the person laughed. <laughs> and she explained to me, she says, it's one thing for someone to get medication. It's another thing for them to use it. Especially after they've tasted the medication and seen it. Ugh, doesn't taste nice. Amen? I'm not going to say who the person is, okay? <laughs> so we must know and use the word. Some of you know the word. You get the word. You buy yourself a fancy Bible. You buy yourself a wonderful devotional. My question is, are you using the word? Are you using the word? Watch this. Verse 15 says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now that's an interesting word. Infancy. What is Paul actually meaning when he says you've known the Holy Scriptures from infancy? Because we tend to translate it an infant. Oh, since you were a little boy. But it's interesting because the word that is used there for infancy, in the Greek it's the word brephos. And guess what brephos is? It's either an unborn child or a newborn child. And I find it interesting that in Scripture they use the same word. Isn't that interesting? They don't distinguish between what's in the womb and what's just come out of the womb. They don't call what's in the womb something else, like people do nowadays. It's the word brephos. And that word brephos is basically a newly born baby or an unborn baby. And Paul here, I don't believe he's exaggerating because elsewhere he said, I see how the faith, the sincere faith that your grandmother had, your mom also had. And now I see that it's passed down to you. So I believe that when Timothy's mom was pregnant with Timothy, she was decreeing and declaring the word of God. Are you hearing me? And Timothy knew the word of God even while he was in his mother's womb. That's what Paul is saying here. There's no baby Holy Spirit. Those of you with little kids, declare and decree the word of God over them. Let them know the word from a young age. Amen. And he says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? For teaching. So why do we like pulling scriptures out of the word? Ah, people won't understand. Let me just talk to them and so on. It says here, all scripture, not just New Testament, all scripture is useful for teaching. Are you using scripture when you teach? He's saying, Timothy, if you want to fulfill your calling, remain word-based. Use scripture when you're counseling people. Use scripture when you're correcting people. Use scripture when you're marrying people. As a pastor, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. So don't just rebuke people. Show them the word. 
for correcting and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. How are we going to equip people to take nations? How are we going to equip people to start churches? People are approaching us. We want to be part of what you're doing. When are you going to start this movement? We want to do this. We want to do that. How are we going to equip them? Through the word. Amen? The word is powerful. We don't need fancy gimmicks. The word in and of itself is powerful. So what are the principles we get from this passage? Well, starting young helps. So we must start training them from a young age. Amen. Use the word to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train in whatever sphere you're called. So if someone says, I want to be a kingdom business person, we must use the word to equip them. If someone says, I want to teach at a high school, we must use the word to equip them. The word can be used for all types of equipping. Amen. If someone says, I want to get married, we must use the word. And I know some people who, who want to get married soon. We must give them the word. Amen? To equip them. Whenever you read the word, read it knowing, knowing that it's God-breathed. Read the word knowing that it's God-breathed. I remember Kenneth Hagin telling a story once of how he made a decision that he's not going to read the word of God again until he believes every single thing that is written there. And there was a time when he was experiencing a bit of a wobbly and he was thinking to himself, I don't know. Am I really convinced of what exactly it will be saying? Will I really, really apply it? And he paused reading for a few days until he was convinced in his mind that this is God-breathed. How many of you know that we need to come to a place in our lives where we don't read the Bible like it's a novel? Where we, before we pick up the Word of God, we're not saying, ah, no, I'll just read it. And if I don't want it to apply in my life, I'll just say something like, no, it was Paul really saying it in another context. You know, it doesn't really apply right now. Amen? Because we get clever, don't we? Today there are people, when we are quoting what Jesus has said, there are people saying, no, but Jesus was ministering to Old Testament people, Old Covenant people who were not yet born again. So let's dismiss that. The person who really had the revelation was Paul. So let's only look at Paul's writings. There are people doing that. So you've got people chucking out a whole section of the Bible, even the words of Jesus, and placing Paul's words above Jesus' words. There's a bit of a problem there, isn't there? I haven't got time to go deep into it right now, but that's what's happening today. All right? Point number six. We must be agile in how we allow God to use us. Some people are very rigid about how God is going to use them. So they come up with all sorts of theories. And really when you look, you see that this is an unsubmitted life. This is a life that is not yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the real issue. Okay? We must be agile in how we allow God to use us. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says here, yeah, I'm going to read from verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared when? In season and out of season. Be very careful that you don't build a lifestyle 
too much around seasons. Where it's like, this is my season for, for, for reaching the lost. And then now I'm in a season where I can just chill and I don't need to evangelize. And then now I'm in a season where, ah, I don't need to do A, B, C, D. Right? There's certain things that we must be prepared to do in season and out of season. Are you following me? I was, I was taught something that is so useful some years ago. I was taught whenever you travel as a minister of the gospel, whenever you're traveling around, always be prepared with a five-minute message, a 10-minute message, a 20-minute message, a 45-minute message. Because how many of you know if you've traveled a bit, especially on the continent, you can be sitting thinking you're just attending a conference and someone can come to you, maybe you're a singer and you're on holiday. And someone can say, oh sister, oh sister, can you just come up and please give us an item? And the whole church is there waiting for you. <laughs> it happened to us, deep in the Eastern Cape, we're doing a mission there. Deep in the Eastern Cape, we're doing a mission there. And we went and we thought like we're just attending a service, a group of us. And they said, oh our brothers from such and such a town, can you please come and give us an item? Fortunately, we had my friend Sandile Nguwe there who could sing and he did his thing spontaneously. Be prepared in season and out of season. Amen? Just because you're on holiday doesn't mean that you mustn't speak and bring salvation to the security guard at the, at the holiday resort. Amen? Because I'm on holiday. I just don't want to think about evangelism. What if God is, has led you to that person? Amen? I'm talking about those who will fulfill their calling. Now this is very powerful for me. He says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So we must be agile in how we allow God to use us. What is agility? Being agile is being nimble. Being agile is being able to change direction very quickly. Lionel Messi, when he's playing soccer, is he a faster sprinter than Usain Bolt? Probably not. But is he more agile? Yes, he can change directions quicker. Amen? Be prepared and open for God to use you in different contexts. Are you having a family gathering this afternoon? Are you visiting extended family? Don't say, oh, I was in my church mode in the morning. Now I'm with my extended family. I'm just chilling, guys. And I'm not sensitive and open to the Holy Spirit. What are you consuming in terms of beverages? And what is it causing you to be like in terms of how God can use you? Are you alert? Are you sensitive to the flow of the Spirit? Or are you numbed to what Jesus wants to do through you this afternoon? Are you hearing me, saints? If I go and visit family, I want to be open. Does God want to say something through me to person X? It could be a word of encouragement. I can't say it's not the season for that. Who said has God said to you, it's not the season for you to prophesy? Just because you're sitting with unsaved people and you're in that mode, oh, I'm with these unsaved people, so I'm doing my tasks. I see people like that in the workplace, Christians. They switch off their Christianity at work and they switch it on when they come to church. There's a problem there, isn't there? 
You see, if you're agile in how God is going to use you, you get more practice. You don't just practice when you're in your small group. You don't just practice when you're in a service. You get more practice because God can use you when you go and pay money to that security guard who you've asked to look after your car. Amen? Be prepared and open for God to use you in different contexts. I like what Pastor Sunday Adela just said. Invest your life into what you were born to do. Make every minute of your life count. Redeem every minute of your life and convert it into greatness. Redeem every minute of your life and convert it into greatness. Isn't that powerful? In verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. My question to you this morning, are you one of those teachers who's preaching to people what they're itching to hear? My other question is, are you one of those people who goes from teacher to teacher, preacher to preacher, because you're itching and you're looking for someone who will tell you what you want to hear? Because when I look in scripture, I see that Jeremiah was a true prophet. And he didn't always tell people what they wanted to hear. But I see that there were a lot of false prophets in that time who were telling people that everything is going to be okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this morning that everything is not going to be okay. Everything is not going to be okay in this nation for some people. Because many people will be experiencing the consequences of their lifestyle. Amen? Let's not be false prophets who go around telling people that everything is going to be fine when it's not. If you want to go somewhere where you're going to hear motivational talk, that you're wonderful, you're pretty, you're beautiful, and that's all you're told, Sunday in, Sunday out, go there, but you might fall under the category of those with itching ears. It says here, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What's the next principle? Number seven. We must feed on the right spiritual food. It's one thing to eat, but if you're only eating cake and donuts, then there's a problem. Amen? It's not just about what you eat, it's about eating the right stuff. You know what? You can eat cakes and donuts and you feel full afterwards. So you can listen to a false message and feel full afterwards. But it wasn't nutritious. Amen? Is not what you need and you'll experience a dip after some time a nice high but then a dip after some time so my question to you is what do you itch to hear what do you itch to hear my other question to you is what do you need to be hearing right now just think about it what do you need to be hearing right now are you one of the teachers or are you one of those with itching ears Verse 5 says, But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Was Timothy an evangelist? Not necessarily. But Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. Whatever you are called to, there will be a work associated with it. Even if it's not your primary gift. 
He says, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In order for us to fulfill our calling, and it's point number eight, we must know and fulfill the duties associated with the calling. We must know what the duties are, and we must fulfill the duties associated with the calling. Amen? If you're a mother, there are certain duties associated with mothering your children. If you're a pastor, you cannot say, I'm a pastor, but I'm the non-teaching type. Can I say that? Can I say, yes, I'm, I'm a senior pastor of this church, but I, I'm not into teaching and preaching. Are you hearing me? Hey, I'm a pastor, but I'm not into encouraging people. You can't do that. There are certain duties associated with certain assignments. If you say, I'm a prophet, there are certain duties associated with the assignment of being a prophet. If you say, I'm a kingdom financier, there are certain duties associated with being a kingdom financier. Amen? He says, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. My question to you is, what are the duties of your ministry? An assignment often comes with a post in the spirit. Each post has duties. A security guard has certain duties. I sometimes speak to the security guards here, and one of their duties is to walk around this building and see if all the windows are closed. Sometimes we've had people phoning us, security guards, saying, oh, there was that one window that was left open. It's one of their duties. The duty of a security guard isn't to just sit and fall asleep. It's to patrol. Amen? If you say, I'm an intercessor, I'm a watchman, what are the duties associated with being a watchman? You know what one of the duties is? Patrolling. You're not necessarily actively praying right at that particular moment, but you're patrolling, you're doing the research to see where the gaps and cracks are so that you can pray accurately. Amen? Someone said, your greatness is directly proportional to how much time you're ready to invest into, your, into fulfilling your purpose. Your greatness is directly proportional to how much time you are ready to invest into fulfilling your purpose. If you want to be great, how much time are you willing to invest in fulfilling your purpose? There are a lot of people who invest a lot of time into a lot of things that are not their primary purpose. Amen? Point number nine. We must know our race and finish it. If you want to fulfill your calling, you must know your race and finish it. How many of you know that if I want to do comrades, I can't be training for the Ironman? Amen? There are different races, and what I've noticed with a lot of people is they are running multiple races simultaneously. Have you noticed that? What happens if you try and run multiple races simultaneously? You don't train appropriately, do you? 
You don't train appropriately. With our kids, because they like doing a lot of the races in athletics, we were at the Hauteng North thing um, yesterday. They like doing a lot of races and so on, but they're starting to learn that maybe I should focus on these ones because the training is different. A point my, my, my wife made uh, yesterday to me. says, for this race that they did, they actually need to be training for it. Because they've been training for these types of races, now they want to compete in this other one. Run your race and train for your race. Not for my race, your race. Amen? And how many of you know that the different races have different rules? If I use comrades' rules for Ironman, I'll be disqualified. Amen? Different races have different approaches. If, if you say, Paul, let's run 10Ks, but I start off like I'm sprinting, and I, I start sprinting, there's a bit of a problem there. I have to do 10Ks at 10K race pace. Amen? If someone decides they're going to run 21Ks, they have to do 21 kilometers at 21 kilometer race pace, which is slower than the 10 kilometer race pace. Amen? Some of you want to accomplish greatness in your life, but the pace you're going at right now is like you just want to do a sprint. And so you're going to bomb out. What are you building for? Run your race. And this is what Paul the Apostle says. He says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Whose race? His race. And I've kept the faith. What's your race? What's your race? And is someone trying to convince you that it's something else? Are you a comrades type of person, but someone is trying to convince you to get into sprinting? The comrades people who are here, the Mzembe is a very relevant example. It's like, I know we'll stick to comrades, thanks. Your race pace is based on the type of race that you are running. I don't know about you, but we want to build churches that last. So it's going to affect how we build. We can pull crowds very easily, hey? We can have famous people coming and so on. Some people build churches that way. We can have a lot of famous people coming to pull crowds. I don't know about you, but we want to build a word-based church with strong foundations that will last generation after generation. How many of you know that you have blessing ministries and you have building ministries? We can have a preacher coming just to bless us, and we're boosted and we're blessed, but nothing has been built. Someone got that. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, watch that, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. How many of you know that we must not desert our posts? That's point number 10. If you want to fulfill your calling, do not desert your post. Amen. Now I know God can shift you from post to post, but be honest with yourself and say, have I deserted my post? Each person here in this room, you've got a post in the spirit. 
Some posts are visible posts. Other posts are invisible. Where you have got a post but no one can see what you're doing. Amen? And we don't want to downplay those posts. But the point here is that sometimes people desert their posts. And Paul here says, talking about a particular individual, he says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. You know, often when we desert a post, we give all sorts of reasons that aren't the real reason. Have you noticed that when someone has an exit interview, when they're working at work, very often they'll lie about the reason that they're moving to another place. Amen? They'll lie. That's why I say to people, don't go too much about what pe by what people say in the exit interview, because often they lie. Rather ask people, what will cause you to resign from this post? But what I find interesting is, it says, because he loved this world has deserted me. What will cause you to stop fulfilling your purpose? And if it's the love of the world, love for the world, be honest about it. Amen? Is it the love of money? The Bible tells us that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. I've seen it happening with people. There were great pastors back in the day, but they've forsaken the post. People say to me, Paul, so when are you going to go full-time into just, uh, just doing motivational talks and so on and then stop preaching? I'll never stop preaching. Okay. I'll always preach the word. That's, that's what comes first. Amen? Amen. Do you know what would cause you to desert your post? Is it offense? Is it jealousy? Is it betrayal? And be honest about the reason. Don't give other reasons for it. Call it what it is. Is it loving the world? Is it discouragement? A lot of times people are discouraged, but the reason they give, they'll say, I got bored. Because in their mind and their self-concept, they cannot come to grips with the fact that they actually got discouraged. Hey, I got bored, I needed a change. No, you got discouraged because you didn't see the results you wanted to see. Call it what it is. Fear. Ignorance. Often we'll label the reason with something that's socially acceptable. Then he says, get Mark and bring him with you. Mark was like, oh. get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Remember Paul had the squabble with Barnabas, didn't he? Because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along. And Paul had said, uh-uh, dude, leave him behind. And now later on in his ministry, he's saying, bring Mark to me. Do you know what this shows me? Things can change. The people who once rejected you, tomorrow can accept you. Amen? The people who once didn't give you that job can give it to you tomorrow. Do not judge your life based on your past rejections. If someone said, no, we're not going to buy your books, when you, uh, when you said, can, you, can I sell my books to the whole organization? If they said no yesterday, they might say yes tomorrow. Amen? God can cause your enemies to become your friends. God can cause people to change their mind. When the favor of God is upon your life, things can change. Say to the person next to you, things are changing for me. <laughs> 
Are you useful to the people you have been assigned to? Or have you become a burden? He says, Mark is useful to me. And that's point number 11. We must know to whom God has assigned us. Paul says, Mark is useful to me, so bring him along. My question to you, in this church, are you useful? People don't like that language. Are you useful? And finally, he continues. He says, I sent, and he's talking about various people. And he says in verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him. Do you know who you should guard against? He says, Alexander did great harm to me. You too should guard against him. Are you guarding yourself against the wrong people? Listen to this very carefully. Are you guarding against the wrong people? There's some people who are very guarded in their relationship with their pastors. Are you guarded against people you should be open to? And are you open with people you should be guarded against? Are you following? He says, you too should be on your guard against this Alexander dude because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. I find it interesting that concerning Alexander, he says, may God repay him. Repay to him. He says the Lord will repay him for what he has done. But then concerning these other people, these believers, he's basically saying, may it not be held against them. I find that interesting. It says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul was able to withstand all the harm that was coming against him because he knew his purpose. He says, despite all of this, there was this one anchor. God allowed it to happen so that this message might go out. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have that anchor, that's your purpose, where you know that this is my purpose here, you will struggle and you will not fulfill your calling. Though I suffered, though people rejected me, at least the main thing was kept the main thing and we achieved the goal. And that was God's purpose. And that's what kept him going. Amen.